Good morning. I just want to say a, a thank you to, to Paul for leading us in prayer, for the worship band, for our worship this morning, for Megan for getting us doing something active, and um, uh, it sound, the choir sounds fantastic. Thank you for talking about that. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's good to be here. It's good to have done, done something active, even some actions in a song. Um, you would have seen the, the email going out this week saying that we're a boiler down. Um, and so uh, I, I, I myself forgot that when putting on a shirt this morning and I'm now regretting it. But hey, it's good to be here in the presence of God. It's good to come here to worship together, to share together, and to spend time enjoying God. So you'll see my first slide this morning. It's not an advert. Well, it may have been, but it's too late, isn't it? This happened this week, the switching on of the Norwich Christmas lights. If you've had a chance to go into the city, you would have seen them, and they're they're impressive, they're magnificent, they're lovely. We went along. It's our first family uh, Christmas time, the the approach to Christmas that we've had in Norwich, and so we thought we'd go along to the turning on of the lights. And um, there we were, the concourse outside City Hall was, was rammed, so we thought, oh, we're not going to wrestle through the crowds there. Um, we'll stand on the steps and um, look out across the market, because when those lights go on, what's, what's dark now is suddenly going to come to light. It'll be great. And um, there was the, the, the panto and uh, someone I'd never heard of singing, and it was all very good and very fun and everything, and then there was other bits and pieces, and then the countdown, and then there was a big, ooh, as all the lights came on, except the ones over the market didn't come on for some reason. So we started off watching darkness, and we carried on watching darkness, but going by the oohs and ahs, it was all very nice somewhere, and it was, it was really good. But what got me is that... The, the celebrity, um, I'm hopeless at remembering celebrity names, so forgive me, um, but the celebrity who um, was, was switching on the lights, um, she kept on saying things like, are you all ready for Christmas? And I just wanted to shout, no, it's mid-November. It's not Christmas time. But she insisted it was, and so people seemed to be very excited. And there was one moment when um, we, we went and had a, had a wander, and there were some Christmas stalls up. And I saw um, one of these um, uh, wooden huts that are dotted around, full of Christmas things, and they smell of, of cinnamon and spices and orange and stuff like Christmas does, apparently. And um, I saw Joan making a beeline for it, and I thought, oh, no. And I saw her walk in, and her little face lit up. And the first thing I saw was that a, a, a wreath priced at 50 pounds. I thought, no, Joe, come back, come back. But it was too late. And she came out, and she had this look on her face that just says Christmas, just beaming and glowing, and it was, it was wonderful. And, um, and I, 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 I love that. Um, but she said, it even smells like Christmas in there. And the thought that went through my mind... And so it begins. The conversation, sure enough, took place the next day. When are we going to put our decorations up? When are we going to get the ladder out and put the lights up out the front of the house? What are we going to do at Christmas? Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, and? She's exactly right. If this is Christmas time, it's starting. We need to be doing this. 
You see, some, some people will be feeling like this. It's Christmas, yes! All excited! And that's the, that's the, the, sort of the, uh, the divide in our household. That's the, the side that, that, that Joe sits on very much. The excitement builds and the preparations are thought about and the planning happens. And I'm very much on this side of Christmas. <laughs> for... <laughs> I never thought I'd get a round of applause for that. But you see, for, for me, I put decorations up on Christmas Eve um, and, then, and then take them down a couple of days after Boxing Day. Um, whereas uh, I, it's, a, it's a battle we have every year, and I, I, I lose it every year. But for me, Christmas, the preparation time for Christmas, it is, it is important, it is fun. I do, I do enjoy the build-up to Christmas. I just find it a bit grating when it starts in mid-November. But interestingly, I learned something this week. The 11th of November was an important date long before the First World War. Long before we started to associate it with Armistice Day, with, with the wearing of poppies and the act of remembrance. Can anybody tell me what was significant about the 11th of November? Oh, you sure she doesn't? Well, it was actually the date that for hundreds of years the Catholic Church remembered the life and death of St. Martin of Tours. Now, Martin was born in Hungary um, in the, the fourth century, and he, as a, as a young child, one day wanted to go into a, a Christian church. His parents forbade him. So he snuck in there and he spoke to a prior, a monk, and asked about the Christian faith. And he was taught at a very young age a little bit about the love of Christ. And he thought this sounded like a good thing. He decided as he went through his teenage years that he wanted to, to go into the church, but his parents forbade it. His father was an officer in a Roman army and... Um, Martin didn't have a, a say in the matter. He was enlisted into the army. He was sent to various different places, and one day he found himself in the city of Gaul in, in, in modern-day France. And he saw a, a beggar at the city gate one day. And the story goes that this man was, was filthy, he was naked, and he was completely destitute. And the, the sight of him... Martin just was overcome with, with, with pity and with compassion and with sadness. And so he took his cloak, Roman soldier's long, long cloak. He's got his sword. He, he cut it in two, which is quite a big thing. Firstly, it was his army uniform, so you, you weren't supposed to defile it. Um, secondly, it was, it, was a, it was something to be very proud of, something to look after. It was a status symbol. He cut this in two and gave half his cloak to the man, wrapped it round him, and his fellow soldiers saw this act of compassion and were really moved. Martin eventually managed to leave the Roman army and went into the Catholic Church, and he became Bishop of Tours. 
later on. And before he died, he had set such an example. He was so different to any other bishop around at that time. People noticed he spent so much time um, with the poor, teaching the poor. He, he looked after widows and orphans. He, 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 read, he read the gospel message, and he applied it in such a way that he stuck out from the rest of the church. He made a huge um, impact on, on those that met him, those that ministered with him. And today, on the Scottish island of Iona, this cross stands, which commemorates the life and death of St. Martin of Tours. And it's on the Scottish island because St. Patrick was his great, great grand-nephew, if memory serves correct. And St. Patrick, St. Patrick spent time in Gaul and heard about this ancestor's reputation and studied his life a little bit and realized the things that he had done that made him different to the rest of the church leaders of the time. And St. Patrick took those lessons and practiced them. And as he, as he traveled round, he too left the same impression. But on the, on the island of Iona, this cross was erected to remember St. Martin of Tours. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, that's all very well. Um, we're a nonconformist church. We don't go down the route of all these different saints. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because the 11th of November was the day that the, the, the Catholic Church used to, I don't know if they still do, mark the Feast of St. Martin of Tours. And that began the six-week six week fasting period that led up to Christmas. It was the original Advent. Advent was once a six-week time of, of fasting. And so when people like me moan about Christmas starting this early, actually um, somebody like Joe could say, well, actually, Tom, I'm, uh, I'm actually historically accurate in this. So I, I have to stand corrected. But Advent is something that we've turned into a time of... It's a time of preparation. Now, it's always been a time of preparation. But we've turned it into a time of preparation for the event of Christmas, for the, the, um, the actual the, the, the celebration of Christmas. It's a practical time of preparation. It's a time when, when you, you start buying things, you start uh, stocking up the cupboards, you start inviting people, you start going through all the practical, um, the practical arrangements. And sometimes this can become quite grating, and so this is, this is why I'd rather, I'd rather not be doing it for, for so long. But that's not what Advent was meant to be originally. Advent originally was meant to be a time of depriving oneself, of fasting, a time of spiritually preparing oneself for Christmas, for the feast that was coming, for the gift that was going to be remembered. This time of spiritual preparation is so easy to miss. And of course, next week is the first Sunday of Advent. For anyone sitting there thinking, hang on, you got your dates wrong. No, 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 I'm aware of that. Next Sunday is, is the first Sunday of Advent. And then for the, the four Sundays leading up, we, 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 we celebrate the gifts of, of joy, of peace, of love, of hope. These really good, positive characteristics of the Christian faith that we all need to be reminded of from time to time. But sometimes we can just find ourselves going through the motions. We do that every year. It's the same Advent routine. 
I make no excuse for that. I think it's an important routine for us to go through. But if we see it as routine, then we're missing the point. Advent is a time of spiritual preparation. It's a time when we should deny ourselves rather than gorge. So that when we get to Christmas, when we get to the actual um, the, the, the time of Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, when we get to the point at which we remember Jesus, then suddenly having, having perhaps deprived ourselves for, for a period of time, we can then indulge and appreciate the gift of Christmas in a whole new, more meaningful way. We must prepare ourselves spiritually above all else. It's so easy, as a cliche tells us, to get wrapped up, no pun intended, in the preparations for Christmas. This spiritual preparation is vital, absolutely vital, because it reminds us that spiritual preparation is not simply something that should take place for those, those, that four or six week period leading up to Christmas. Spiritual preparation is this ongoing process that we have. The Latin word adventus, where we get advent from, it, it's... Its meaning is, is not so much about looking back, it's more about an arrival that's yet to come. And so Advent should be a time when we look towards the second coming of Christ, where we look forward to Jesus returning like he promises that he will, that we know he will one day. Rather than looking back at, at what happened, that's important, of course. That was, the, that was a, a, a significant moment in the history of the world, the most significant moment. But this time of spiritual preparation, this Advent, it should be a time that reminds us of the ongoing preparation, the ongoing maintenance of our hearts. In Matthew 24, Jesus told his disciples, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We must make sure that we keep watch. Jesus didn't give us the, the time and date and location of the second coming, because if he did, then... We, we, we wouldn't need to be in this state of constant preparation. We'd just wait until a, a couple of weeks beforehand and then start putting up the welcome back banners and, and making sure that we've said our prayers and asked for forgiveness and we're all in good shape. But no, because that shouldn't be something that we, we do just, just for the moment of Jesus' return. This should be an ongoing lifestyle of the follower of Christ, of any one of us. This ongoing process if you knew when your house was going to be broken into, it would never happen. If we knew when Jesus was going to return, then we wouldn't need to be preparing ourselves in such a way. When Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul wrote, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. 
For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we don't need to to fixate on on when it's going to happen because the only thing we can be sure of is that it's going to happen happen at a time when we least expect it. So let's not not try and guess. And some people have spent spent a lifetime trying to to look for secret codes in Scripture that's going to tell us when Jesus is going to return. There were some people who were convinced that the year 2000 was going to be, that was going to be it. That's when Jesus was going to return. C.S. Lewis writes about a, um, a Victorian gentleman who was convinced that he knew the date when, when Jesus was going was to come back, and when the rapture was going to happen, even, even the place. Funnily enough, it was in England. But on the night when people had gone up praising God and, and expecting, Lewis describes a bunch of forlorn, sad people cold and wet and miserable, wandering back to their homes the following morning. Why? Because we cannot second-guess God. We cannot know when Jesus is going to return, but we do know that he will. So Paul writes, don't fixate on the times, because you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. Suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So when people are saying, I've got it under control, we're okay, it's all right. We can, we can power our own homes, we can feed ourselves, we can fill our supermarkets, our bank accounts are healthy. We've got jobs, we've got futures, we've got life under control. We can do so much, we can, we can send people into space, we can explore the depths of the oceans. We've got everything under control. We don't need God. When people are saying that, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And we're sort of seeing that. I'm not saying that we're entering entering the end times. Some say we've been in the end times for ages. Others say the end times are yet to come. But you can sort of look around the world now. You can see that the war in Ukraine, you can see the the terrible events that, that happen elsewhere. You can see the the injustice, you can see the, the, um, the desperation of people as they face a cost of living crisis. All this is going on, and we can look around and we can say, hey, look, this is, this is what he's talking about. This is the, the labor pains, this is the destruction, it's happening. But every generation has had many, many times when they say just that. It's not that easy to look at the world and say, well, there you go, it ticks all the boxes, this is it. If it was that easy, then Jesus wouldn't be coming like a thief in the night. So Paul goes on, but you, you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So in other words, we know Jesus. 
We don't know the time and date when he's going to return, but we know that he will return. And so there's no excuse for us not to be in this state of preparation. Now, of course, preparation doesn't mean that we're the end product. Jesus isn't going to come back and say, you're not absolutely perfect. You've had all this time and you haven't perfected life. Sorry, you're out. It's not going to come like that. But he will say, have you, have you, have you actually been preparing? Have you tried? Imagine if you got to Christmas Day and suddenly the family turn up and you say, oh, yeah, of course, Christmas. Oh, come in. Yeah, yeah, I did mention last year that you can come to mine. Yeah. Um, anyone brought a turkey? Oh, I have not. I've got, I've got some sausages in the freezer and, yeah, got some ice cream for pudding. But um, anyone got, you wouldn't be prepared. People say, you haven't even bothered. You haven't even tried. You've had a whole year to do this. You haven't made any effort at all. It'd be a lack of preparation. If your family are anything like mine, then they'd be a bit, a, bit, a bit put out, to put it mildly. The rest of the world, those who have had the option of, of, of following Christ but have rejected that option, have chosen not to, they haven't got the light. They can't see the need to prepare. Paul refers to drunkenness in that statement. Now, that represents a, a, a lack of moral standing, moral failure, a lack of Christian morals. Paul says if Jesus comes back and finds that in us, we've got no excuse. We know the teachings of the gospel. We know what Jesus wants us to, to, to be like, to live like. We know that he wants us to have hearts that yearn for him, that, to follow him, to be doing our best. And we won't always get it right. In fact, we'd often get it wrong. That's why we need Jesus in the first place. But that's no excuse for not trying. That's no excuse to say, well, Jesus has died for me, so he's paid the price of my sins, so I can just keep sinning. No. No, that's not the attitude. The, the attitude is to acknowledge that Jesus has died for our sin and then to live lives that show gratitude for that, live lives that show a desire to make sure that we are doing our best to be as prepared as we can be for the day that he returns. Paul goes on, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't going to come back with a desire to, to admonish us, with a desire to, to condemn us and to reject us. He's not looking for an excuse to, to put a red cross at the bottom of our page and to throw us out. If that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't have died on a cross for us, but he did. Why? Because he loves us. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. He didn't create us to suffer, to be... To be his punch bag but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ in other words to live with our God in a kingdom of heaven but in order to in order to become acceptable to become made, to be made perfect to get into heaven so we don't pollute the purity of the kingdom of heaven we have to be following Jesus he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then Paul finishes this, 
this passage with an instruction. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I love that. He's not, he's not suggesting that, that the church to whom he's writing uh, uh, don't do that, but he's, he's impressing upon them the need to keep on doing it. Don't stop encouraging. Don't stop building one another up. Now, of course, there is a time for admonishment. There is a time when, when we, we, we need to give people a little steer to get them back on track. But we can do it in a way of love. We can do it in a way that says, I'm, I'm only, I'm, it's, it's because I care. It's because I care. And when we do that, there's a positive response. I've almost done a year here now. One person's pleased. <laughs> I said that to Lynn in the office last week. I said to Lynn, I've almost done a year. She said, really? It feels much longer. <laughs> and she was deadly serious. She wasn't even joking. I thought, thanks. But one of the things that I've loved about this church, it was the first time that we came here last August. One of the things that I've loved about this church, and I still do, is the encouragement. You are encouraging. You've encouraged me incredibly and I'm so humbled by that and I see it happening it's a the the spirit of encouragement is something that that we should celebrate but it's also something that that we should make sure that we keep doing encouraging one another and building each other up it's a fundamental part of being a church I've said before when people walk out of those doors whether it's on a Sunday morning or whether it's a different time of the week We need to make sure that that they they leave here feeling better about themselves and the world than they did when they first walked in. Now, that's not not giving them them false hope and, and pandering to people. That's just being encouraging, caring, loving, sharing these qualities, because it's all part of the the preparation process for when Jesus returns. And so, for many of us, we find we're back in this place. Some of us, as we go into the Advent season, feel like this. Others, more like this. But there's a third option. And the third option is something which supersedes either of them. The third option is this. As we go into this Advent period, let's refocus ourselves on coming before God, remembering what he's done for us, what he's given for us, the gift of love that we have in Christ our Lord. Let's give thanks. Let's praise him. Let's praise his name and worship him. Let's confess our weaknesses, our sin, the things that that we've done that don't honor him, Let's pledge to to change. Let's pledge to, to, to be better prepared every day. Because Jesus will return. He will return. The writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about about Jesus' sacrifice. He says in in Hebrews 13, verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, 
but we're looking for the city that is to come. All this will, will perish. All this will, will fade away. None of us will live forever, this side of the grave. This building will one day crumble. Some of it already is. We don't have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Let's make sure that we we use this time to get back to praising God, praising him, celebrating him, thanking him for the gift that he gave us, the gift of Jesus Christ our Lord. This has got to be an ongoing process. It's got to be an ongoing process. I read this week, um, I was reminded of, of something which um, in the very first sermon I ever preached um, many, many years ago now, um, it, was, it was the evening service of Advent Sunday at my, my very first church, and one of the examples that I used when talking about, about Advent was the Golden Gate Bridge. And the Golden Gate Bridge in California is huge. I've never been there, but you can just see by that picture, it's absolutely huge. And the thing, that, the thing I just want to mention is you've got a guy there who um, is, is painting the bridge. That bridge they, is never fully painted. What I mean by that is there is always paintwork going on. When they finish painting, um, painting the bridge, when they've worked all the way across every section, got from one bank to the other, painting the whole thing, it's time to go back and start again. It's an ongoing process. I mean, you look at that bloke and you think, well, if you've got more paint on the bridge and a bit less on himself, it might not have to take that long. But... But, you see, that that bridge, despite the fact that there's traffic going across it every day, it's safe, it's healthy, in order for it to be maintained in that condition, for it to stay um, a structurally sound bridge, it has to be constantly maintained. It has to be constantly prepared and painted. Because if that process ever stops, then immediately the corrosion begins. And before you know it, eventually the bridge will crumble and be destroyed. And we are no different. We are no different at all. Let's make sure this year at Advent, as we, as we enter the season, that spiritually we prepare ourselves, not just for Christmas, but for something that's going to be even bigger than Christmas, something even more special, the second coming, the final coming, of Jesus, the return of our King. Let's pray. Father God, we know that one day you will return. We have no idea when, and we know that you never intended us to know, not even Jesus himself knew. But Father, we pray that as we begin to enter the Christmas season, we've seen lights going on, we see Christmas goods being sold. Father, may this be the trigger for us to prepare, to prepare ourselves, not just just for Christmas, but to see your Son returning into this world, to see that day, 
Lord, we don't know if that's going to be in our lifetime. We don't know if it's going to be in our children's or grandchildren's lifetime. But we do know that one day you will return. We do know that you call us to be prepared. We do know that you call us to follow you. So, Lord, may we use this time to do just that. To prepare ourselves. To recommit ourselves to you. to give you our lives. Father, we pray for your help in this process. We pray that you will prompt us to speak to you, to listen to you, to speak for you, to be the the voice that carries the name of Jesus, the voice that speaks about our church, the voice that reminds people why we even have a Christmas celebration in the first place, but also may we be people that have that that heart and that compassion that we we heard about in the life of St. Martin of Tours. A heart that seeks to feed the hungry. A heart that seeks to, to clothe the naked, to stand with the oppressed to show love and mercy and compassion in a world which so often lacks those qualities. Father, we pray that this year we can experience Christmas in a whole new way, coming from a place of proper preparation. Father God, may you be our guide through this coming Advent season and beyond, now and forevermore. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to close the service by um, singing a song uh, by Nathan Fellingham. Awake, awake, O Zion, and clothe yourself with strength. Shake off the dust and fix your eyes on him. For you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And now you sit enthroned with him.
we're just going to close in prayer. Father God, thank you that you did send your son to the earth for us. Thank you that although some of us just feel really excited just now and some less so, thank you that Christmas is coming at a particular time when we can remember about you sending your son, though we can do that any time of the year. Lord, just help us this week as we, we go our own ways to just honour you and to prepare ourselves for you coming back and to share your love with others. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. The service is, is finished now. There's tea and coffee. Obviously, if you're new, uh, there's tea and coffee in a trolley over there. There's tea and coffee out there for everyone else. If you want to pray with someone, there'll be a couple of members of the prayer team will come up the front who will be available to pray with. There'll also be people around, church leaders and other members of the prayer team. I don't know if anyone wants to wave their hand who will be available to pray with if anyone wants to, because I know sometimes it's not easy if you want to, to pray with someone um, at the front. You don't always want to do that, but just catch someone. So there will be people available. We're, we're just going to sing now. You don't have to stay. Um, the service is over. We're going to sing the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You don't need to stay. You're welcome to stay and sing with us or just sit and listen if you want. But have a great week. The Lord